it is good to see you today on this uh, holiday weekend. We're grateful that you would take some time to come spend with us. Uh, I, again, hope that it really is a restful weekend for you. I hope you get to just hang out with uh, some folks that you like and eat something good on the grill, right? Just, I, I, hope that it's a, I hope that it's a good weekend for you. Uh, a couple of things that I want to mention before uh, we dig into uh, our talk this morning. First of all, uh, I am grateful that we are, we are drenched in love this morning. But after that four or five inch rain that happened the other night, we are not drenched in water in this building. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yes, we are grateful. And I, I realize that if you're new, you're like, what's the big deal? Well, if you've been here a while, you know that uh, we've been at this a long time where just in terms of this building, we've always fought with just leaks and, and uh, lots of times we gather together like a, a day like today and there's, there's garbage cans in different spots to catch the water that's fallen. But many of you, even this morning, have just commented on how good it looks uh, outside we were able to do new roof and some new siding and just to be able to seal the thing up. And that four or five inch rain the other night was a good test. Uh, I couldn't find any drips anywhere in the room. And uh, I, I am truly just grateful for that. I think they'll be finishing up this week. And so next week, we'll just kind of be able to tell you where we're at and where we landed and all that. Um, I, I'm grateful though, I really am grateful. Second thing, uh, also, if you've been hanging around for a little while, you know we've been hinting at, talking about a transition for one of our campuses. Our Adrian campus currently meets on Sunday evening at 6.30, but we are making the move to Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. And we've been working on some video parts of that and just technology stuff that, need, that we need to come together. Well, they, they've been working hard on that and we're at the point that it's time. And so today I am officially declaring that October the 6th, October the 6th is going to be the first Sunday that we make the switch to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning at Adrian's. Now, um, how that applies to this campus is you may want to get in on that. What I mean by that is it's a good opportunity perhaps to be a part of something. We're almost going to treat this like a brand new start. It's almost like a, a brand new start. Maybe you would want to attend here, but maybe you'd be interested in you and your family trucking down to, to Adrian with, with some of us. It, it immediately follows this time frame, and maybe you could serve there and help as we get something going. Um, or maybe you serve here, and you would want you and your family maybe to, to be a part of the gathering down there. Presence matters. Bodies matter when you're trying to... To, to get something going. So I'm just throwing that out there. You have done that in the past. Some of you have committed to, to uh, help us out like that in the past. And so I'm just throwing it out because of the way the time flows here at nine, there at 11, it's very doable where you can be at one, serve at another, and most weeks you can still get home by the end of the first quarter. All right? It's time to talk that language, isn't it? Yeah, you can still do that. You could either let us know by the info, info sheet that hopefully you got when you came in, just to indicate, hey, we'd be glad to help somehow, or obviously we're always glad to have conversations. You can call us, talk to us, uh, but we're excited. We will announce soon a time where we want to pray for that, for that transition in Adrian. Uh, some of you were a part of a, a prayer meeting that we had, I don't know, a month or month and a half or so ago. Uh, we want to do that again, this time for Adrian, and that specific work that we think God's calling us to there. So uh, we'll let you know soon, and in the meantime, go ahead and be praying. Be praying for what God really wants to do and can do in that place, all right? You may struggle to see the evidence of it now. But back in the day, my strength was not just watching sports, but actually participating in them. I love football. 
played football for probably eight years or so. Had lots of fun playing football, especially peewee football. That, that's a blast. Basketball. I, I, there is no sport that I love more than basketball. The way I describe it is God used basketball to bless my life more than any other sport that I know. Uh, not just in um, scholarship, but just in terms of, of learning life and leading and all that stuff. I mean, the game of basketball, I just absolutely love it for those reasons. But the first team sport that I was a part of, some 45 years ago, when my dad moved to uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi to pastor a church, I was about to enter the first grade, and in Vicksburg, before it was cool everywhere, there was a huge soccer league. Now, I realize that may they surprised some of you because now soccer is kind of big everywhere in whatever town you go to there's a big league but it wasn't that way back in the day 45 years ago a few places but in Vicksburg Mississippi soccer was huge and that's the first thing I remember playing as a team sport now when I say soccer some of you think sporting Kansas City, right? And, and if you like Sporting KC, you're, you're like spoiled because they've been so good for so many uh, years in terms of how uh, they actually play the game. And, and I, I, I so admire the way those guys do it, the strength, the stamina, the strategy, the spacing. There's literally an art to the game. But when kids play soccer, that's not what it looks like just in case you don't know. When, when kids play soccer, um, it's more like this all-out brawl for the ball. It is. It's like a magnet. It's like when kids play soccer and, and the ball will be in a certain spot, and this is actually really good because what usually happens is shoop, everybody's just right on top of the ball. And then the ball bounces somewhere else, and then all of a sudden, shoop, everybody's just right on top of the ball. It looks like a 20-car pileup in the middle of the field. There's not a lot of tactics sometimes. There's not a lot of beauty. It's just this clawing of tooth and nail until the moment happens and maybe you've seen it out of this massive huddle of baby bo and sweat emerges a soccer ball nobody knows how it happens it'll just suddenly bounce outside of the giant group of people and one kid sees it and somehow he slips through the crowd, he snatches up the ball between his feet, he charges down the field toward the goal with a crowd of falling children in his wake, and then with one mighty swoosh, goal, right, and everybody goes crazy. That's the visual that I have when I read the passage that we're about to read today. The final passage in this little book of 1 Timothy, our study of blueprint, but that's the image that I get. The picture of a world, it's like a huddle of people, people bunched up, everybody doing what they want to do, living at this sort of level. And then the apostle Paul says to his boy Timothy, yeah, I know everybody's living like this, but you are called to a different level. Timothy, you are now a part of a different team, and it doesn't matter what they're doing. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to be. Anybody here today looking to live above the fray, looking to live life at another level that transcends the playing field. This is your passage. I'm going to read a lot of chapter 6. We're not going to pick apart every verse, but I want you to hear the text in order to highlight this 
final charge. A charge to Timothy, a charge to me, a charge to you. Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. Let's just read for a little bit. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and, con and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, just be grateful you don't have to diagram that sentence. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. Those of you who are back to school, that would be a sentence to diagram. Here's where he goes. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Timothy, there are some people who are teaching things that you know are absolutely contrary to what Jesus says is true. Timothy, there are some people who are conceited, some people who would just rather always be stirring up trouble than loving one another. There are some people who are not content with what they have. You look at their lives, Timothy, and it's obvious they love money much more than they love Jesus. Verse 11. But you. But you, man of God. You got the image? Timothy, I see the huddle. I see all these people. Here's what they're clamoring after. Here's what they're running for. But you, man of God. You, woman of God. You, child of God. You are called to something different. What are you called to? Paul begins the journey. But you, man of God, flee from all this. That's the first action he gives. You, Timothy, you run from all this. Now, come on, this is, this is the moment when the, when the little soccer kid who's in the huddle with all the other kids on the field suddenly realizes, here I am in the huddle, but the ball's over there. There's something more for me there. That's better for me there. I got to get out of this. I got to run out of this. I got to escape this. Flee these things, Paul says. Now, what things? Well, it's the things that we've been reading in all of 1 Timothy, but, but it's also verse 3 through 10. He, he just gave us that description, and, and the way I summarize it is just he's saying, look, if anything is contrary to what Jesus says, Timothy, you run from that. If it doesn't sound like Jesus, run from it. If it doesn't look like Jesus, run from it. So here's where we start. The question I'm supposed to ask and the question you're supposed to ask is, so as a follower of Jesus, am I still in the huddle? As a follower of, of Jesus, am I currently finding myself bunched up with everybody else? And it's time to ask the question, consider in my job, in my relationships, in my church, how would Jesus do this? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean, what our hearts beat for, what we pray for, what we do so much of what we do around here is the desire that you would come to see who Jesus is, 
and that you would know how good it is to follow him. So whether you've, maybe you've never been a follower of Jesus or maybe you claim to be, but you and I both know that you ain't followed him in a while. I, I wanna challenge you to some action in your life. I, pick one of the gospels. What we call the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one of them, you pick it. And then just read. I want you to just read how Jesus treats people. I want you to read about how Jesus speaks to people. Read about how they respond to him. And then regarding your situation, your life, your job, your relationships, your church, I want you to ask the question, is this how Jesus would respond? Is this how Jesus would act? What I find myself in in the moment is, is it what I just said, is that what Jesus would actually say? I want you to see him and realize that Paul says, look, this, this starts with understanding you got to run from some things, Timothy. But that's not all. Back to verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and, what's the word? Pursue. You don't just run from, but you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Yeah, you got to run from some stuff, but what good does it do to run from some stuff if you don't have something to run toward? Well, what is it that we run toward? Well, he, he gives us this list, right? If we are to flee from not living like Jesus, then what he says we are to pursue is living like Jesus. And those are words that describe, I mean, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. What, what, what is, what's Jesus like? Well, he, he befriended those who were broken. He served those who were, were poor. He intentionally prioritized time with his father. He, he lives as a, a living sacrifice. He says, I want you to pursue Jesus' life. A way that we learned to say it in this series, we learned it, I'm sure you remember it because we learned it in like the first couple of weeks. So I'm sure you got it. It's only 12 weeks ago. You got it. There was a, a two-question grid, a two-question grid that we learned in the very beginning. I know you remember it, but I'm going to give you the questions anyway. Does it advance the gospel, and is it motivated by love? That's what Paul taught us in the beginning. Does this advance the good news of Jesus? Is what I'm doing with my life, with this decision, with this move, is this advancing the good news of Jesus? And am I actually doing this out of love? And if that's the grid to which you answer yes, he's like, then this is where you move. And this is what you should do. This is how you respond. This is how you live. This is how you speak. But if the answer to either of those questions is no, it's time to stop. And it might be time to run because that's not, Timothy, what you want your life to be connected to. Paul's building here. So you flee from some things and you pursue some things. And then we get to verse 12 and he says, you fight for some things. Fight the good fight of faith. I wish that I could convince people on a at least weekly basis that faith involves a fight because people don't act like it does. Faith involves a fight. If you want to want what God wants, if you want to love what God loves, if you want to do what God says, we got to realize this happens in the midst of a battle with an enemy who is not flesh and blood. Now, we learned that in this series, too. We, we learned in this series that we're not warring against the world. We're not, we're not warring against other people. Our war is against an enemy, the devil, and, and those angels who follow him who are at war against God and everything that he loves. So sometimes what that means is when we are presented with a choice, we are presented with a decision, we are presented with an opportunity, 
lots of times if that thing is easy, it's likely that that may not be where Jesus is calling you to walk. Now, you got to be careful with what I'm saying. I, I, I'm not saying that sometimes there aren't steps that are just laid open, easy for you to walk through. But I'm saying to follow Jesus in this world is not often easy. And the things that he calls you to do and how you love and how you forgive, they're not often easy. And the reason they're not easy is because it's attached to a fight. And if the only thing you ever move on are the things that are easy, it just means for most of us, we just tend to slip into what we've known and what we've become confident with, and we've lost sight that most of the time to follow Jesus involves a fight. Back to the soccer image. It's this mass of kids, and they're all fighting for the ball, when suddenly that ball pops out. But the truth of the matter is the easiest thing to do is to just stay in the group of people. You just stay in the crowd. The hard thing, the right thing, is to claw your way out of that. It's this declaration, you get off of me, let me out of here, that's where I need to be. And it's like, that's what Paul is pleading with Timothy to see. If you're gonna live this life of faith, if you're gonna live what God wants you to live, love how he wants you to love, do what he wants you to do, you're going to have to fight for it. Flee, pursue, fight. Not done. Let's keep going. Verse 12. Timothy, you also have to take hold. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I love that language. Take hold. Because what does he tell us to take hold of? I didn't highlight this for you, but can you see it? Take hold of what? Eternal life. Now, when you think of eternal life, most people think one day in the future. Eternal life, I, I get to live forever in heaven. But the language that Paul uses here is a present tense verb. It is to take hold of this thing that we think about being in the future. He's saying, I want you to take hold of it now. And it's just consistent with what Jesus teaches us. Eternal life doesn't begin at death. That's how we often think. But eternal life does not begin when you die. Eternal life, Jesus says, begins at the moment that you put your trust in him and then it continues forever and ever and ever. Now the question is, how should that change how you live today? How does that affect how you think and work and serve and believe? How does that, Paul says, you gotta get a grip on this. You gotta hold on to this because you're knowing your tomorrow affects your today. Last week, I opened by telling you about a bunch of cool stuff that just had happened in our family's life over the last 10 days. Everything from anniversaries to birthdays to meeting Jesus parties. To, I mean, it, we, we had a reason to have a party about every other day. I want to tell you about the best thing I saw this week. I'll go Scott Ben Pelt on you. The best thing I saw this week was a funeral. This week, I witnessed my dad preach the funeral of the very best friend that God had 
ever given him in this world. Best friend ever. And this week I, I saw my dad preach that funeral and bury his very best friend. And as I sat in that room, taking all that in, yeah, I'm sad because I'm going to miss him too. He loved me too. I, I was a cool byproduct of how much he loved my dad. But I found myself grateful. Because you know what I've got to watch for the last 25 years or so? I watched two buddies live life in light of eternity. I watched them together fight for how to love their families in light of what they knew to be eternal. I, I watched them love their church in light of what they knew to be true about eternity. I've watched them be on mission in light of what they knew to be the truth about what is eternal. I've watched them fight the struggles. And I found myself in that room, yeah, it's a sad moment because, man, we're going to miss him for a while. For a while. Why would I say for a while? Because there's an eternity attached to this thing. There is an eternal picture that is true. But I found myself so grateful, not just for what will be one day, but I found myself grateful for having the privilege as a son to, to watch those two guys fight together for the mission that God had called us to in light of what they both believed about eternity. Do you understand what I'm, you, you get what I'm saying? You see how that changes even the struggles you go through? Nobody wants to go through cancer. Nobody wants to deal with persecution. Nobody wants loss. Nobody wants ridicule. Nobody wants to be overlooked. But how you see and handle those struggles is affected by what you believe about the eternal. The eternal is Jesus is with me now. Now. The eternal lives in me. The day I put my trust in Jesus, the eternal came to live within me, never to leave me. That means one of these days when I take my last breath and somebody does a funeral, it's not the end for me. I just get to go be face to face with Jesus forever and ever. In light of that truth, it changes how you fight. And sometimes I feel like some, some of us come into this room every week. Others of you come into this room, you're 1.2 times per month. But when you show up here, something of the eternal is handed to you. We sing songs about it. We, we, we read scripture about it. We pray prayers regarding it. Something of the eternal is given to you, reminded to you. But some of you, when you walk out those doors, it's like you fumble what you've been given. And what you sang about and heard about and say you believe about in regards to eternity doesn't get carried into how you live the week. Paul says you got to fight. you got to hold on to this. you got to hold on to eternity. See the difference it makes. That's why Paul says... What's next? Verse 13. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep. It's a little word, but it's just as big of a verb as the others. To flee, to pursue, to fight. He says you got to keep. You keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, 
who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. You know what just happened there? Paul just fought a little bit for the eternal, and when he started thinking about the eternal, he starts thinking about who Jesus is, and it's like he just, he starts, he starts going, man. He, he can't stop when he's declaring how good Jesus is. But his verb is to keep. This happened a couple of times yesterday. If any of you were watching any football games, I doubt it, but probably maybe a few college footballs back, and there were a few times yesterday. Maybe it was watching your team, maybe it was watching another one, maybe it's just watching kind of replays, but there were a few times that the dude's wide open. He's wide open. And you see the ball heading his way. But when it's all said and done, what comes out of your mouth, at least I'm going to give you the church version of it, was all he had to do was catch it. Some version of that, you said it. All he had to do was catch it. In the NFL, we're used to language like you, you must maintain possession, right? You got to complete the catch. You got to complete the play. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here. And how many weekends does this happen to the church where truth is thrown and grace can be received? until you walk out the door and you get in your car and something gets said and your wife rolls her eyes at you. Fumble. Fumble. We learn about sharing the gospel. We learn about things like generosity. But then what do we do with that? It seems to slip right through our hands. Paul says you've got to maintain possession. Truth is given. You've got the grace to receive it. And I just find it interesting. It's like he mentions the return of Jesus again. I, Paul just told us to, to take hold of the eternal. And now he uses this word, you've got you to keep it. You've got to keep it. And again, he talks about Jesus returning. And it's like Paul knows. He, I, I, Paul's a sports guy. I mean, there's a number of times he's using sports illustrations. I think Paul's one of those guys that would just stand up and declare to us, you understand, one of these days, this game ends. This temporary, this game ends, and it is going to end in victory for those who are on the right team. And when you line up with Jesus, you're on that team. So flee, pursue, fight, take hold, keep hold, because Jesus' team wins. Now, you're going to love this. Watch where Paul takes this again. Verse 17. Command those who are rich. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about soccer. I thought we were talking about soccer and, and fighting and football and stuff. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We've already learned that in this series. He's like, God gives you stuff to enjoy. But here's where he goes. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. In the middle of flee, pursue, fight, hold on to, Paul gets really practical. He gets really practical. And he says, you got to get what I'm saying here. And if you do, it will show up in very practical ways in your life. Like your money. 
like your money. Because you will realize what's eternal and what is temporary. You will realize what is most valuable and what is not. Now, I want to make sure we're really clear on something today. (laughs) Nobody gets to leave here today saying, why did Jeff take all that and turn it to money? Why did Jeff take that whole deal and, and make it about money? Can we just clarify something here today? I didn't write 1 Timothy. Jeff didn't take it today and turn it to money. The apostle Paul took it today and turned it to money. And in the middle of faith and what we should flee and what we should pursue and what we should fight for, twice he brought it to money. You know why? Because in Paul's day, would it be interesting that one of the greatest threats to winning in faith is money? And here we are 2,000 years later. And if you want to talk to people about the thing they would rather trust than Jesus is money. You want to talk to people about what they worship more than Jesus is money. Where we try to find our security, where we try to find our worth is money. And here we are. Let's just clarify that Jeff didn't turn it to money. The Apostle Paul turned it to money. And if we say, if we believe what we say we believe under the influence of the Spirit of God who leads him to write what he writes. Well, this certainly doesn't apply to us, does it? Good. Let's move on. No, let's not. I'm reading this and thinking, here we are at the end of... um, August? Would that be right? It's almost September. Like, there's Christmas stuff up in stores. Have, do you know that? I, I know it. I'm warning you so that you don't get sick when you, when you go in a store and see it. But it, there's Christmas stuff in stores. The year, we're, we're, you know, two-thirds through. Where we stand as a church right now on this topic of money is about where we stand about every year. It is. We're always in the red at this point. We are. Um, We go through the summer with tons of mission stuff that God calls us to, and we do that mission stuff, and we we always get to a point right here, and we're in the red. And every year we look at why, and every year, here's the reality. One-third, one-third of the people who attend Heart of Life actually practice what Paul just called us to practice in that we give a percentage of our income, of our resources, of our money. The Bible, the Bible will use the word tithe in the Old Testament. It's a 10%. I, I, I think it's, it's saying, look, here's the example. Even when all they had was the law and they didn't really understand grace, they would give a percentage. Why? Because we brought nothing into this world. We go take nothing out of this world. Everything we got in the middle came from who? The giver. And so when he says, hey, I want you to take a portion of that and I want you to use it for the resources of the mission that I've called my church to, we don't get upset about that because he owns it all, actually. One-third of Heart of Life practices that principle, one-third. Another third of Heart of Life practices a principle that looks like this. Every once in a while, while I'm there, I'll drop a 20 in the box. If I'm there 1.2 times per month, I'll, I'll drop my 20 in when I come. And then honestly, another th- the last third does nothing. Not like I'm saying nothing. And that's why we always find ourselves where we find ourselves right now. For about the last 10 years, we have n- at the end of the year, we have never spent more than we took in. We don't. We, we try to... We try to be where we need to be in terms of being good stewards of the resources we've got. I want to challenge you. Because that's what Paul's challenging us with today. First of all, for those who already do what he tells you to do, thank you. Thank you for believing him. But for those who are in the other two-thirds, I just want to challenge you to trust him on what he's calling you to. 
say, what, Jeff, you going to get mad at us? No, I'm not getting mad at you. You're not, you're not messing with me. I, it's not mine. I just know that if you're claiming to have faith, but you won't trust him even with your resources, your faith is stuck. It's stuck. And I watch people, listen to people so wanting, they want to understand more of who God is. They want to, but really when you get below it, what they really want is they want a Jesus who will keep their pocketbook filled. Not really a Jesus who they want to trust if the pocketbook is empty. Jeff, I can't believe that you turned this about money. I didn't. But Paul pulls no punches. He's saying, quit claiming to be a person of faith if you love this more than you love him. Quit claiming to be a person of faith if you won't trust him in this when you really don't trust him. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I want you to win. And as long as you put your trust in money, it is going to disappoint you. As long as you put your trust in money, it's going to let you down. There will never be enough. It will never give you peace, ever. I want you to trust me. Just take a next step. Just take a next step. It's like, well, at least, at least commit to say, I don't know, at least a regular something where maybe it's 20 bucks a week. 20 bucks a week. If you were following the whole percentage giving thing, that would mean that your income is $200 a week, all right? If you can't do that, don't do that, but I'm saying 20 bucks a week. You realize that if 30 people, if 30 people took the next step and did 20 bucks a week for the year, we wouldn't even be in the red. 20 bucks. Trust him in that. Trust him in that. All right few more we're done verse 20 timothy guard guard what's been entrusted to your care turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith you've run out of the pack you're taking hold to what matters and Paul's just reminding you as you do so, there are going to be defenders coming at you right and left. And now you got to guard what's been given to you. Think about that language, this truth that has been entrusted to you. This gospel, good news, saving news that has been entrusted to you. This faith, it's entrusted to you. When your mom or dad or brother or sister or friend or pastor or neighbor or coworker or whoever it was who loved you enough to sit down and say, this is who Jesus is and this is how you can know him. And when you put your trust in him, Paul says, in that moment, you were now entrusted to carry that forward. And he's saying, Timothy, you got to keep this. You got to carry it forward because in this is life for all. That's a lot of verbs. That's a lot of fleeing and pursuing and fighting and keeping and guarding. And it's like, anybody feel qualified to do that well? You see the weight of this charge? How do you do that? Well, thank goodness. There is one more little phrase that I have yet to show you from verse 21. Because at the end of verse 21, this is how Paul closes the letter. Grace. Grace be with you all. Grace. Why grace? Because none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. That whole money thing, you think we could ever give enough money to earn God's love and erase what we've done to him? Giving is not about earning, no. Why grace? Because none of us are able. None of us are able on our own to even fight this fight in a worthy way. 
How can we be faithful to, to flee and pursue and fight and take hold and keep in the guard? The answer, Paul says, it's grace. What brought you into this faith is what's going to hold you in this faith. I want to look at those six verbs again. And I want you to see them. This is, think chain, all right? It's kind of like a chain, links on a chain, right? And what, what Paul is showing Timothy is, if any one of these you ignore, any one of these you choose to drop the ball, then suddenly the whole, it's, it's a, the chain is weak, right? If any of those links you're, you're not fighting for, then, then really that, that, that entire chain, it is affected by that. I want to take a minute and just ask us to think, ask us to consider are there any of these in which you have become lax in how you fight this fight of faith? Maybe you have been trying to flee from sin, but you haven't really been pursuing Jesus. You're just trying to stop some stuff you know is bad, but you haven't been really chasing after the heart of God. And where does that leave you? It always leaves you falling back into that sin. Or, or maybe you, you would say, I've been wanting, I've been pursuing Jesus, but you're trying to pursue Jesus while you're still doing the stuff that you know he says you, could, you should run from. And w where does that leave you? It just leaves you stagnant. Your faith's not going to grow in pursuing him as long as you won't run from the stuff that he calls you to run from. Maybe you, you keep showing up here and you hear some truth, but the application of that is where you're struggling. You're just plateaued. The chain of faith is only as strong as its weakest link. So, Jeff, how in the world are we supposed to have this, this chain that's strengthened? Well, thanks be to God, here's how it happens. It's grace. It's grace. No one ever graduates from the classroom of grace. We just continue to grow in recognizing it, knowing how to go after it. We grow deeper and deeper and deeper in our dependence on Jesus, realizing that all of this is a gift from God. I can't do any part of this if it were not for God's mighty power choosing to work through my life, helping me to stay faithful, the same grace that brought me in. I did not earn a relationship with Jesus. I was not good enough to deserve that in any way. It was by grace through faith in him, a Jesus who died for my sin, rose from the dead. Jeff, how did you get into the faith? Grace. And if you ask me how I'm still here, my answer is the same. It's grace. When it comes to sin, flee it. When it comes to godliness, pursue it. When it comes to faith, fight for it. When it comes to eternal life, take hold of it. When it comes to the words of Jesus, keep it. When it comes to the gospel, guard it. And when it comes to living all of this out, Embrace the grace of Jesus that first embraced you and will continue to do so until he comes again. God, I thank you for teaching us. I thank you, God, for um, even though there are moments it's painful, you, by your grace, give us eyes to see. Eyes to see that, God, there are moments we claim to trust you. There are moments we, we claim to have faith, and yet, God, the practical picture of our life declares that hmm, maybe we're not fighting for what we say we are. And so, God, I, I thank you. I thank you for 
what Paul poured into Timothy a long time ago. For the last 12 weeks, we have walked through this. For the last 12 weeks, our hearts have been challenged, and we've seen the picture. Today, we see, we hear the charge. And God, we, we realize this, this is no game. God, this, this is for real and this is eternal. And what I know, God, is I, I just have to believe that, that across this room and uh, God, even those who will be hearing this message, God, there's a lot of folks who desire to live, God, at this level above the playing field. God, to truly trust you, to truly know what it means to to walk in, in your supernatural power. God, I'm asking you to help us to take those steps that are right in front of us that say we believe. God, I pray for those. I pray for those who need to take those steps today that we will recognize it is your grace. I pray for those who are going through difficult stuff today. God, there are some folks who have been through some stuff this week. God, it may be with health. It may be with family. But God, it is, it is your grace that holds us. I'm asking God that you would encourage. I'm asking that there could be healing. But God, I thank you that you don't do that apart from us running to you. God, today, help us to run to you. I pray that faith will be real. May our faith be real. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand with me. We're going to sing here for a little bit. Sing a little bit about how we trust, about how we fight this fight. I want you to hear that charge from Paul today. And I want you to get this is no game. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to believe. I want you to trust. But in order to do that, it may start with some repentance. You got to flee some stuff. You got to pursue some things different. As God speaks to you, we want to be here to help you in any way that we can. There'll be some of us on the side over here, maybe in the back. If you need prayer today, we'd be honored to pray with you. Honored to help you however we can. Fight this fight. Fight this fight.